Of all the literary dystopias to have received a big screen adaptation in the last decade or so, Chaos Walking's wooded alien planet is certainly one of the most interesting settings. Located in a solar system far removed from our own, the aptly named New World is the subject of human colonisation, a process which has begun some 20-ish years earlier at the beginning of Doug Lyman's sweeping and somewhat awkward adaptation of Patrick Ness's Chaos Walking book trilogy. The credits directly list the first book, 2008's The Knife of Never Letting Go, as the source material for Lionsgate's new science fiction epic, but readers' mileage may vary. My understanding is that the film veers significantly from its literary progenitor. Our window into the world of chaos walking is the very Tom Holland-esque Todd Hewitt, played, appropriately enough, by Tom Holland. Born in the first days of humankind settlement on New World, also home to the Spackle, a monstrous race of seemingly vicious aliens the movie spends barely any time on, Todd was orphaned as a baby when a Spackle attack on his settlement of Prentice Town resulted in the deaths of all of the women, including his widowed mother. Raised by two surviving male settlers, Ben, an effective but underused Demian Bashir, and Killian, Kurt Sutter, yes, that one, the creator of Sons of Anarchy, Todd seems especially unable to properly contend with the planet's most peculiar feature. Every sentient male on the planet produces a phenomenon called the noise, some cosmic irregularity that causes those within the atmosphere of New World to have their thoughts broadcast aloud to the world around them, memories and fantasies appearing above their heads in a miasma of phantom images. The calmer and more mature among the settlers are able to control their noise. Some, like Mads Mikkelsen's instantly untrustworthy Mayor Prentice, are even able to weaponize it, conjuring complex illusions to trick and disorient others. Todd, who, as previously mentioned, is very Tom Holland-esque, struggles with this. This is a fascinating concept, but it's one that Lyman fumbles a bit in the execution. The visual representation of characters' thoughts is a somewhat goofy-looking purplish cloud hovering above their heads, while internal monologues are regularly audible, but only selectively, as Lyman seems to struggle with how to prevent what should probably be a pretty overwhelming stimulus in a way tolerable to his audience. The rules here aren't especially well explained, but as a neat sci-fi concept, it mostly works. More fascinatingly, it blends the internal narrative style of a novel, with their frequent forays into the thoughts and mental states of main characters, with the more external style of film and television. It's an odd effect, and its uniqueness is enough to overcome the occasional clumsiness of its execution. Todd's boring and unsatisfying life farming beets in the rough terrain of his testosterone-filled village is disrupted one day when a scout ship for an incoming second wave of settlers crash lands in the forest nearby. There is a sole survivor, a woman, the first Todd has ever seen, about his age, and named Viola Ede, played by Daisy Ridley. The men of Prentice Town quickly lose their cool over this, and Mayor Prentice presses Viola for information about the arrival of her incoming colleagues, dreams of conquest and trickery clearly in his mind. The original settlers of the village, it quickly becomes clear, have grown feral in their isolation, and their aggressive treatment of Viola alarms the naive and kind-hearted Todd, who realises long after the audience does that the massacre of Prentice Town's women, his mother included, 
probably had very little to do with the spackle. Fearing for their adopted son and disgusted by their neighbours, it isn't an accident that the only middle-aged men not out to hurt Viola are the ones the film implies are gay, Ben and Killian send Todd and Viola out into the wilds in search of a way to contact her incoming ship and warn them, with the men of Prentice Town hot on their trail. There's a lot going on in Chaos Walking, both in narrative and in theme, and its greatest flaw is that it doesn't have the time or the capacity to properly explore all of the ideas it raises. The time the film spends world-building is appreciated, but one gets the impression that it has only scratched the surface. The planet of New World, the bizarre phenomenon it elicits, the spackle, the history of the colonisation effort, the history of Prentice Town in particular, these are all interesting topics that the film doesn't have the bandwidth to fully explore. This is not, it would appear, a straight adaptation of the first book of the Chaos Walking trilogy. It is instead a remix of the trilogy as a whole. Plotlines which, I understand, are dealt with over three books and a thousand-odd pages in Ness's prose work are condensed into less than two hours in Lyman's film. Many are ignored entirely. This is the rare young adult book series adaptation not to end with a cliffhanger or an unresolved main plot. Chaos Walking can be watched as a standalone film with ease. On the one hand, this shows rare common sense. While every film studio wants the next Harry Potter, Twilight or The Hunger Games, a ready-made franchise with a built-in fan community and material for a decade of film instalments, they are far more likely to actually end up with a non-starter like The Golden Compass, Mortal Instruments or another of the litany of aborted fantasy franchises that litter the landscape of 21st century cinema. Yet while Chaos Walking sensibly refuses to place the cart before the horse, it finds itself unable to accommodate the myriad of ideas inherent in the material with such a vastly condensed runtime. I walked out of the cinema wanting to read the books, wanting to know more about New World, and thinking that this franchise may have been better suited for a television show than a film. This is not to imply that the filmed interpretation of Chaos Walking Lionsgate has ended up with is without its joys. Far from it. It's actually an extremely enjoyable science fiction adventure, one which gets a lot of mileage out of its premise and the weapons-grade charm of its two leads. Not all of the themes inherent in the plot get short shrift either. One that is executed pretty well, actually, is a pretty obvious puberty parallel. Todd, who has never before seen a woman in his life, finds himself travelling alone with one his own age, and his thoughts are being constantly broadcast to her. It's the nightmare of every socially awkward teenager who has ever tried to approach a member of the opposite sex. It's charming and funny, and Holland and Ridley play the dynamic with charisma. They are the film's greatest assets, a pair of genuine movie stars who own the screen and prove to be pleasant travelling companions for the audience as we are asked to journey with them through the thick forests of an alien world. Holland tends to dominate, spotlighted by the presentation of his inner monologue, making Ridley's Viola a comparatively distant presence. That's the point, though, and though the film has its faults, the casting of its leads is not one of them. Equally effective is the formidable production design, cinematography, and effects work. New World looks good, a lush forest planet packed with greenery, mountains, and rivers. The design of the spackle, whose brief appearances are the film's most provocative tease of a larger mythos, is instantly striking. 
the dark cloud of unintelligible noise above their heads, hinting at interesting storytelling opportunities the film once again has no time to explore. And the design of the human characters' homes, costumes, and equipment bring to mind a sort of sci-fi western, well-worn gear that has been broken and repaired multiple times by isolated frontiersmen in a perennial struggle against the wilderness. One of the darker themes bound up in the story is one the movie gives short shrift to. Viola is a lone young woman being pursued by angry middle-aged men whose very thoughts are weaponized against her. The film avoids going anywhere near most of the live wires underlying such a narrative, but it does give time to one, men who seek to dominate women with violence. The fate of the women of Prentice Town will be blindingly obvious to anyone with even the vaguest of critical thinking skills, and the implications which result from both that and the men's pursuit of Viola are messy and complex. Women on New World can hear every thought that goes through a man's brain, every secret and idle wondering, but they themselves retain control over the privacy of their own minds. This, it seems, both scares and embarrasses the men of Prentice Town, and those feelings of weakness morph into anger and a desire to regain control. One man, a self-styled prophet named Aaron, played by David Oyelowo, goes so far as to insist that the one-sided way in which New World affects the genders is positive proof that women have no souls. Such ideas are expanded upon subtly through Todd's noise. When frightened or faced with a dangerous obstacle, Todd's broadcast thoughts switch to a repeated mantra, Be a man, be a man. Coupled with his initial idolization of the leaders of Prentice Town, it isn't hard to see the film's critiques of machismo and stereotypical maleness, but it's underexplored, a fascinating detail left for the audience to excavate from subtext, rather than something the filmmakers have the confidence and ambition to properly address. This, and the concept of the potential threat posed to women by predominantly male power structures, are the film's most hot-button topics, and ones that would benefit greatly from more time to explore the various ideas and intellectual cul-de-sacs they present. To their credit, the filmmakers do their very best to tie these more ambitious themes into the film's noticeably perfunctory finale. The film's third act is a fitting conclusion, and while it does not leave viewers hanging with the promise of future instalments, the door is certainly left open for a sequel, though the film's critical and commercial reception coupled with its troubled post-production history, indicate that's an unlikely prospect at best. But the ending we get is decent, if unusually small scale for what we have been trained to expect from dystopian franchise fare. Rather than opt for a loud and violent brawl or some dazzling special effect, Lyman attempts to bring the story's themes to a conclusion in a more muted standoff that ties into the gendered ideas that permeate the rest of the narrative. It's a good idea, but given the film's refusal to really contend with the subjects it's raising in the hour and a half beforehand, it's a little cheap. If there's one overriding criticism of Chaos Walking, it's that if you squint really hard, you can imagine a version of this story that is far more ambitious than the one we got. It has tons of interesting ideas, a lot of potential for neat world building, and some genuinely heavy-hitting themes that if capitalised on could result in sci-fi success on the level of The Hunger Games, or at the very least, the Maze Runner trilogy. But in missing so many of its shots, the film ends up a tantalising glimpse at a really cool new genre universe brimming with untapped potential. 
Whether this is the fault of the movie's troubled post-production, it was shot in 2017 before poor test screenings prompted long-delayed reshoots, or a misjudged conception of the film in the first place, the end result is a big missed opportunity. It's entertaining, to be sure, a fast-paced and exciting adventure that's great to look at, and Tom Holland and Daisy Ridley prove once more that they are two of the most charismatic people on the planet. But I left the theatre thinking, more than anything else, that I really wish the adaptation had been in the form of a television program instead. If we're lucky, perhaps Chaos Walking will follow the same route as Percy Jackson has over the last decade, an entertaining but quickly forgotten film adaptation followed eventually by a streaming series that will have the time and space to explore the intricacies of its compelling universe in the way it deserves. This review of Chaos Walking was written and read by me, Lawson Keeney. If you would like to find any more of my written work, you can find it at exitthroughthecandycounter.wordpress.com. And of course, you can hear me every Saturday with Harley and John on the regular episodes of this podcast for a more conversational approach to film analysis. Until we meet again, I've been Lawson Keeney, and this has been a bonus episode of The Long Watch.